Today we're starting a teaching series about sex, and I know what you're thinking. The first person who comes to mind when you're thinking about sex is probably me. Fair? No? Super awkward? Yeah, that's where we all are. We're all in an awkward place. I don't even think my wife thinks of me first when it comes to sex, actually. So... Today we're starting a series about sex and we're calling it Rated M. And it's kind of for mature audiences. We're going to have a conversation over the next four weeks about God, about sex, and about sexuality. Now why in the world would we do a teaching series like this? And sex can be kind of a confusing or maybe even a taboo subject. It definitely makes people uncomfortable. I see some of you already shifting around in your seats We have trouble knowing kind of how to talk about it, how to approach it in a healthy way, how to talk to our kids about it, how to honor God with it even. And it doesn't have to be this way. See, it was created by God. So we're going to get a little uncomfortable over the next four weeks. And for this series to work, we kind of need to get past the uncomfortable part and also get past the middle school part. That's my favorite part of conversations like this. It's the giggling, you know? It's the hee-hee-hee-hee sex part of things. We have to get past both of those so that we can actually talk about it in a, a serious way. Now, the purpose of this series is not to give you a play-by-play on how to have good sex. Sorry to disappoint some of you. I'm not here to give you any pointers. A Ridger found out that we were going to be teaching a a sex series, and she got very concerned. She was like, are there going to be diagrams? Are there illustrations? Like, that's weird. That's awkward. That's weird and awkward for me, let alone for you. So no, we're not doing any of that. The point of the series is also not to shame you or make you feel bad about your past. It's not meant to guilt you or anything like that. As a matter of fact, I'd much prefer we all leave this four-week series thinking more about what God has to say about sex and that it's actually something that isn't shameful. It's actually beautiful if we surrender it to God. I believe sex matters a lot, which feels very awkward to say when you're on a stage. But I stand by it. Sex is a part of our lives, right? It's true. I mean, look around you. Sexuality is everywhere. Not literally right now. Don't look around you and look at sexuality right now. I'm talking about culturally. Don't be weird. But Sex is in the commercials we watch, right? It's in the movies that we watch, the TV shows that we watch, the songs that we listen to, and we act like it's not about sex, and it's actually about watermelon or whatever. See, we desire sex in our own hearts in ways we can't always articulate, in ways we can't always explain. We do it in our bedrooms, and then we act like we don't. And still, we don't really know or we don't really understand what God has to say about sex. And we feel uncomfortable talking about it, especially in church. And when we do understand what God has to say about it, sometimes we even disagree with that. So this series is important because sex is such a big deal in our lives and in our culture. And I want you to hear from me laser clear. I don't have this all figured out. I don't speak from a place of having this altogether. But we have to talk about it anyway, for the very reason that many of us have baggage or we're a hot mess when it comes to the truth that comes from God about sex and the grace of how to navigate it. And I personally need to be responded about what 
God has to say and be reminded of how we can interact in this intimate part of our lives. So we're going to get a little uncomfortable. We're going to move past that uncomfortability. We're going to, is that a word? I don't know. Embrace it. Let's talk about sex, baby. Let's talk about sex, baby. Salt and pepper. Anybody? Nobody? Cool. It's going to be a long morning if you don't think that's funny, just so you know. Now, here's the thing that might be surprising about sex and really what God has to say about sex. Check this out. I believe that God wants you, like people in general, to have amazing sex. And not right now, just to be clear, but God cares about sex so much that he created it. Check this out. We're going to go all the way back to the first book of the Bible. We're going to go back to Genesis. And here's the context. God created the universe, the sky, the ocean, and all the little fishies, the moon, the stars, all the animals, all the plants, all the things. And then God created Adam, the first person. To be clear, I don't talk about myself in the third person that often. So when I'm talking about Adam, I'm talking about the Adam in the Bible, not about Adam up here. That's also awkward. But Adam was created in God's own image. And something weird about having the name Adam is I always pay attention to Adam in the Bible, maybe more than I paid attention to other things growing up. And I take it personally that I am created in God's own image, and so are you. That's actually pretty amazing. And God created Adam in his image. And then God said, okay, Adam, here is a purpose for you. Go name the animals. So I guess, I don't know how that worked. Like if he lined them all up, if there was roll call, if he's like, I'd like to see the aardvark. And then the aardvark came up, the hippopotamus. I don't know. We can blame him for all the names. I don't really understand how that worked. But God saw that there wasn't a suitable companion for Adam. And then this happened. This is Genesis 2, verse 21. So the Lord God caused the man, Adam, to fall into a deep sleep. And while the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. And then the Lord God made a woman from the rib and he brought her to the man. So God created the universe and then God created Adam and then God created a woman, Eve. This was the way that God designed it and he saw that it was very good. So both Adam and Eve are created in God's image. They're uniquely connected. None of the animals are treated the same way as Adam and Eve are treated. And I think that this is an important thing. This is one of the first things we can learn about God and sex. Check this out. See, sex is a gift from God. And at first, that seems maybe a little weird, Or you're like, okay, I guess he created it or whatever. But listen, he created sex for a purpose, for three purposes, actually. One purpose is for baby making. Have you ever heard uh, the, the words be fruitful and multiply? That's from the Bible. He created sex to be generationally speaking necessary. That's how we're all here. I know that that's an image you don't want to think about, but that's why you're here. But purpose number two, He also created it to be fun, to be pleasurable. It's not in spite of God. It's not fun because we figured it out. It's fun because God created it to be fun. I don't think God is shocked that sex is pleasurable. He picked a way 
that it feels good. I don't think God is embarrassed by that. I don't think he's angry that we figured out a way to enjoy it. There's actually a whole book in the Bible devoted to the joys of sexual union and relationships and love. Now I've got your attention, don't I? It's an entire book of the Bible. It's called Song of Songs or Song of Solomon. Well, should we be reading some of that in the Ridge Reading Challenge? Why in the world would there be an entire book of the Bible dedicated to sex and sexuality? Why in the world would the Bible talk about sex as positively as it does? Well, it's because God created it. And God cares about your sex life because God cares about you. And he wants you to enjoy it. It's a gift from him. And Adam reacted to this. This is what he said. This is Genesis 2.23. He said, at last... The man exclaimed, this one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. He goes, at last, woohoo! That's what he did. And there's a song that this reminds me of. It's from the 1960s. You might know it, you might not. It's by Etta James. It's called At Last. Here's how it goes. At last my love is coming home. My lonely days are over. And that's what, it, that's what he's saying. He's like, whoa, my lonely days are over. Now, that song probably wasn't intended to be about Adam and Eve. We made it about Adam and Eve. I don't know. It was released in 1960. And so for all you teens out there that think your music is the only music that is cool and relevant and talks about sex, nope. And for all you adults out there who are like, the music these days is so graphic, let me remind you of the 1970s. Some of y'all are hippies, right? 1980s, 1990s early aughts. It's about sex all the time. All sorts of songs about sex are out there. And God created Adam and God created Eve and Adam responds like a guy and he goes, yes, a woman. But as much as we joke about it, that's the way God intended it. We make a joke out of it, but it's a gift from God to Adam and Eve saying, hey, you two are intended to be together. You are intended to live together, to be intimate together. It's a gift from God. And Adam does respond, at last, woohoo. And God designed it. He designed it to be good. And he designed it to be used in a certain context. Marriage. See, sex is a gift from God. And second, see, sex is also designed for marriage. You see the progression here. God says, we need to find a suitable companion. We need relationship. He creates, he provides that relationship with Eve. So much so that from the beginning of time, God designed sex to be in the context of marriage. It's always been that way. So if you're keeping track of kind of the three purposes, one is baby making, number two is pleasure, and number three is really marriage is union. Now, if you're, you're single, or if you're divorced, if you're widowed, you're in some way not married, I might have lost you by now. You might be thinking something that I think sometimes you're like, this doesn't apply to me really. Like the circumstances don't apply to me. Here's something that I've learned the hard, difficult way in life. Any times that I look at the Bible and I say, that doesn't apply to me, I'm wrong. It does apply to me in some way, shape, or form. And I encourage you, no matter your circumstances, to understand God's intention for sex and sexuality. I think it's helpful 
for us as we navigate our sexualized culture to understand what God has to say about it. And it it helps you understand God's purpose and perspective. This is a hot topic, a divisive topic that is a huge part of the conversation culturally and politically, and we need to be able to account for it no matter our circumstances. And sex is designed from the very beginning for marriage. This is Genesis 2.24. Check this out. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a really important verse in all of this. Did you ever notice something? Why does it talk about Adam's father and mother? He didn't have a mother. Did he, did he not have a belly button? I don't know. I don't know. That's not what we're talking about today. I don't think he did, but that's not what we're talking about. The point is, why in the world is this in the Bible? Why is this in Genesis? Why is it talking about a father and the mother? Why is it talking about two becoming one? Because this is the way God designed it. Baby making, pleasure, and really the two are united into one. See, sex is not just a physical thing. It's also a spiritual thing. One flesh. This, this whole section, this, this verse right here, it's sexual innuendo. It's a sex joke in Genesis 2. Now we're really uncomfortable, aren't we? It is. It's a sex joke because this is the way that God intended it from the very beginning that we were one flesh, wink, wink. Do you know how difficult it is to give a sex talk without double entendre, by the way? It is incredibly difficult. I almost said a different word there, but I can't say that word because it would be double entendre. Ask your neighbor. Actually, don't. Never mind. See, sex is designed, purposed for marriage. It always has been, and I believe it always will be. And we'll talk more about this as the series goes on, but this is really an important principle. This is an important concept. Now, I want to ask a basic question. When we come up to a principle like this, why? We sometimes are, are more comfortable saying, well, this is the way it is, or traditionally, we, this is the way we look, or this is how my great-great-great-great-grandmother believed it, but why is sex designed for marriage? I believe it's designed for marriage because it's better that way. God's design is always better. But we don't think that that's the case, is it? See, we think sex is however we want it to be. And the marriage part of it is kind of irrelevant or it's really you know, kind of old-fashioned. That sex can be done in any way we see fit as long as it doesn't harm somebody else, right? Have you ever heard that line of thinking? That marriage doesn't really matter. Why would you get married without knowing that you're sexually compatible? That's a conversation that I've had in real life. Another thing that I've been told is that people regret not being sexually active in their teens or in their 20s because they missed out on something. And let me set the record straight. I want to really talk about why this is important. See, in 2016, there was a Time Magazine story talking about sexual activity and pornography. And here are some of the findings in that story. And I want to remind you that Time Magazine is not religiously affiliated at all. This study found that sexually active singles have the highest rate of depression. Those who consume a high amount of pornography consistently reported poor physical health 
and lower grades. See, the data comes back and it doesn't match up with what we're told in like the Viagra commercial. The data comes back and tells us that those who do not have a history of pornography and those who do not have previous sexual partners tend to report higher levels of enjoyment of sex within marriage. For example, women are twice as likely to be satisfied sexually in a committed marriage relationship than in a casual encounter. Two times more. Why do you think that that's the case? That's not what we see on the commercial. That's not what we hear in the song. It's because God created it this way. See, sex is a gift from God. And sex is designed specifically for a context for marriage. And this is how this section of Genesis ends. Check this out. This is verse 25. Now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. I have a confession when I was a little kid and I read this verse. This was one of those, like it says naked. And I'm like, hee hee hee. I have a confession a couple weeks ago when I read this verse. I was like, hee hee hee. This is an important verse for a couple reasons. Here's one. It's talking about Adam and his wife, Eve. It doesn't say the man and the woman names Eve his wife. And that's important because it's in the context of marriage. And here's the second reason I think that this is just so important. See, this all happened, created Adam, Eve, sexual union. They're both naked, but what? They felt no shame. No shame. Sex is not created to be shameful. Somebody needs to hear that today. Sex is not meant to shame you. It's meant to be good, full, enjoyable. Now, it's very powerful, but it's not meant for shame. And if you feel shame when it comes to sex or sexuality or your past or your present or your future, I want you to know, I want you to hear that you are loved beyond your wildest expectations. God loves you no matter what, no matter what you think, no matter what you've done, no matter who you've been with. That is not the category for which you are loved. You are loved because he created you. You're in his image. But let's unpack this a little bit because I think Genesis 2.25 illustrates something that's incredibly foundational when it comes to talking about sex because sex is a gift from God. It's designed for a specific context, marriage, and it impacts our lives. Sex is powerful. And sometimes that power of sex creates a, a sense of shame because we don't understand it or because we don't use it correctly. We're outside of God's context. Here's an example. This is fire. Just feel warmer looking at it, don't you? I feel a little warmer looking at it. We actually use fire in a way that we talk about sex, don't we? Things like, oh, you're so hot. Does it feel awkward me saying that? It does to me too. Oh, I, I broke up with him. He's an old flame. I'm burning in desire for you. You've never said that? I'm burning in desire for you. That's in Song of Songs. Burning loins is in Song of Songs too, but we'll ignore that. 
See, fire is a great analogy when it comes to sex. Because fire, when used correctly, even though it's powerful, it's amazing. It's one of the elements we talk about all the time. See, fire has been used by humans forever. Fire has been used in farming, agriculture, clearing land still is. It's still used in cooking. You know, think barbecue, think your oven, think your stove. It's still used as a source of generating heat and generating light like a candle. It's used for signaling. It's used for propulsion purposes in engines, smelting, whatever that is, forging, incineration of waste, cremation, all sorts of ways that fire is good. Fire is wonderful. But if we don't use it correctly, fire can get out of control. Fire can be destructive when it gets out of the fireplace It can burn down houses. It can burn down forests. It can be used as a weapon of mass destruction. It can kill. So what changed? Fire is fire. Fire didn't change. It's how we use it. See, sex is the same. Sex is the same. Sex is sex. It's how we approach it, how we use it, the context that we're in. And when used correctly, sex is amazing and there's no shame attached. But when it's not used correctly, it's destructive. And then we're surprised when we get burned. See, sex is incredibly powerful. And when we don't use it the way that God intended, it is not good. Because God designed sex, and he designs it to be used in a very specific and very controlled environment. Call it maybe the marriage bed. And the cool thing about that is when you're in the right context, there's no shame attached. No matter how naked you are or you feel. Out of the billions of people on earth, the club is so exclusive and so difficult to join that it only includes you and your spouse. That's it. So there's no shame attached to sex at all when we're using it in the correct construct. So I have a question. Why do we feel so much shame then? Abby and I, we waited until marriage to have sex. And I'd encourage everybody else to do the same for the reasons that we're even talking about today. And even if that ship has sailed for you, I'd encourage you to consider it from this day forward. And I'm really glad we did. But I want to share with you something that I really wish that somebody had shared with me. When we got married, we went on the honeymoon. And we had all these cultural expectations about sex. We thought it was going to be like the songs, you know, like rock your body, bringing sexy back, let's get it on, you know, whatever. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying. And the wedding day arrived. And the wedding night arrived. And it was awkward and awesome and painful and pleasurable But it was definitely not how we had anticipated it. And we both actually felt some shame about it. Because we had been told our entire lives how wrong it was to have sex. And we didn't really know how to talk about it to one another or to anybody else. 
Why do I tell that story? It's actually kind of embarrassing. And yes, I asked Abby if I could tell that story. I'm not an idiot, okay? (laughs) I share it because our world, our culture, has messed sex up so much that even when Abby and I are in the context of how God intended sex to be, we didn't know how to navigate it. That's why I feel so passionately about talking about it in church, especially church. It was created by God. And it's not just in the don't even think about it ever, 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 ever type of way. See, good news, sex continues to get better and better and better the longer that we're married. And as Abby and I get closer and closer to Jesus, we grow closer and closer together. Now, throughout this series, maybe you're realizing it, We're going to talk pretty honestly about God's intention for sex and sexuality. We're going to talk about it with as much grace and as much truth as we can muster. So let me encourage you, attend this series. No matter what your circumstances are, no matter what your context is, this series applies to you. You are, or you know someone, or you will know someone. You see what I'm saying? Like, this is an important conversation happening all around us. And next week, we're going to be talking about what the Bible has to say about LGBTQ core beliefs and what it looks like to extend grace and truth like the Bible commands. It's a can't-miss Sunday. Be sure to invite your friend. I believe that this matters so much culturally and so much spiritually. And the week after that, we're going to be talking about purity in the context of things like relationships and affairs and pornography and abuse and how we've really messed that whole world up culturally as well. And the last week, we're going to be talking specifically about sex and parenting. And that's a can't-miss week too. And even if you don't have kids, First of all, you have parents. And second of all, I believe that you have the opportunity to be a champion for a child about this topic and many others. This is important. This is about the next generation as well. And I'm really excited about this series. I'm also a little nervous about this series, but I'm mostly excited about this series. And as we wrap up today, there's this challenge, there's this question about this world, sex and sexuality, that I think is foundational as we move past maybe the uncomfortableness or move past the giggle, giggle, middle school-ness. Check this out. Here's the question, and this matters. Your answer to this question matters. Are you willing to surrender your sex life to God? See, when it comes to our lives today, this is an incredibly important question. We all have some baggage when it comes to sex and sexuality. We have images, phrases, feelings, memories, past and present that impact us. And sex can actually be a really difficult thing. It can cause us to struggle. There's heartache and pain and betrayal and abuse as a part of this conversation too. See, there are scars that come from what's already happened in our lives. See, sex might remind you of terrible things, broken relationships or abuse or rape. 
They're child abuse survivors and victims of sex trafficking and other sex crimes that carry scars and social judgment for the rest of their earthly lives. See, pornography is a huge deal and might have its snare in you. It interferes with relationships. This is an important conversation. And you might not believe what I believe about sex and sexuality. Fair enough. But are you willing to surrender your sex life to God? Not to me, not to your partner, not to feelings, not to pleasure, not to what you believe about LGBTQ issues or pornography, not to what you believe about purity or marriage or parenting to God. See, God loves you so much that he sent Jesus and absolutely Jesus is a huge part of your sex life. See, God's love for you is way beyond what we believe about sex. God's love for you happens no matter what you believe, no matter what you've done, no matter what you've looked at, no matter what you understand. And God loves you for who you are, and he asks you to surrender every single part of who you are to him, including the bedroom. And he does that because he's good. And he does that because he loves you. And he does that because he's trustworthy. And he wants what's best for you, even if we don't understand, even if we don't agree. Are you willing to surrender the most intimate, the most uncomfortable, the most odd, the most, I'm not talking about it in the church, are you willing to surrender your sex life to God? like to pray for us. Heavenly Father, from creation, your intent is for good to prevail in our lives, emotionally, relationally, sexually. I confess that in my own life I have messed that up. We confess that we fall short And I'm so grateful for your love that extends beyond what I can understand. Your vast love that includes these uncomfortable topics like sex and sexuality. I thank you that your love is greater than what we understand. That it is a part of truth and a part of grace. That we can enter into this conversation and keep our eyes focused on you and what you've done and how you've proven over and over and over again, how much you love us. You've shown that all the way from Genesis, all the way up to Jesus and the cross and what we've already celebrated and remembered and proclaimed today through communion. How Jesus is right smack dab in the middle of this conversation for us. We want to surrender all of this to you because you love us so perfectly that if we do, The result is hope and joy and freedom. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your truth. Help us surrender our sex life to you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray today. Amen.